Would you please join me by opening your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1? We're taking a break today from 1 Kings, 2 Kings, to talk about some very important cultural issues today as Christians. I want to begin first just by welcoming those who are watching at home. Again, we just mourn the fact for those who, for medical reasons, just are not able to be here. And we affirm the decision that you're making to be, to be at home. And we know that this is far more harder for you than we even can imagine, just not being able to be with us, to be with the people of God right now. And I encourage the rest of you to, to reach out to those who are staying at home right now for medical reasons, that, that you could just encourage them and remind them that they are part of this body. They are part of who we are, uh, even if they're not here right now. There's, there's a chunk of us, kind of our arms and our hands and fingers missing. And we just need to lift them up in prayer and pray that God would protect them. God would keep them safe during this time. Um, you know, there's one other thing I want to mention as, as we begin here this morning, and that is that we need to give a great shout out to some people who have been working really really hard when they come here this morning. And that is you kids. (laughs) You guys, yeah, you, (laughs) you guys are doing a fantastic job. I know this is really hard. How many of you just wake up on Sunday morning and you're just like excited to put on your mask and come to church? (laughs) Ruth Clotis. You guys are doing a great job, kids. This is not easy, but, but you know what you're doing? You are loving your neighbor by doing this. You're modeling what Jesus would call you to do, and you're showing the rest of us as adults how to love our neighbor by putting on your mask as awkward and strange as it is and sitting down in worship and being with us. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of that and, and doing that. As we come to Nehemiah chapter one today, and if you're looking for Nehemiah still, it's after Ezra, Jack, and it's before Esther. <laughs> as, as we come to this text today, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like every morning I wake up and it's like, it's like the zombie apocalypse has happened all over again. Every day there's something new. Every day there's some new news cycle that's just like, what? Uh, we're living in a time in which, in which many are angry. Maybe some of you. Some, some are angry about injustice against African Americans. Others are angry about injustice against maybe police. Some are angry about the violence and the politics and the, and the confusion just swirling around. And just like with, with COVID-19 and with the economy problems, there are many divisive and, and shouting voices out there just demanding your allegiance on how to think about the racial tensions right now. And, and once again, Satan is, is busy. Once again, Satan is at work trying to, to divide his people, to divide his church. 
And so my question today that, that I've been pondering this week uh, for this morning is, how, how do we respond in a distinctly Christian way right now to the racial crisis that we see in our country? How do we respond in a theological way, in a way that brings honor to Jesus and testifies of the glory of God and lifts up his gospel? You know, this is, this is what we need to look at today. And it's, it's imperative for us to recognize our own assumptions and, and to begin to search the scriptures because we need to discern the, the voice of the spirit that belongs to the kingdom of Christ rather than the voice of the serpent that belongs to the kingdom of this world. And as we step into this conversation today, know that this conversation is only a beginning. I'm not able to address in one sermon the, the dozens upon dozens of complex issues involved in a Christian response to the racial tension that we see. Uh, so I'm just going to scratch the surface as we begin thinking about at ECC, what does it mean to be a Christian right now, in this day and age that we're living in. Uh, I, I want us to, to simply kind of begin with, with the question of where do we begin? Where do we start on this? And I believe that, that Scripture points us to at least three basic principles that we need to think about. And that is lament, pray, and care. You can go home now. (laughs) Lament, pray, and care. So would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word from Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Or more literally, great, they're in great evil and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we need right now for you to give us wisdom. We face difficult and troublesome circumstances in our day, like Nehemiah's report that he heard. Speak, O Lord, for for we will act only out of earthly wisdom apart from you. 
and help us to be dominated by the thoughts of Scripture more than our own thoughts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May be seated. The story of Nehemiah opens up with him hearing about tragic circumstances. Jerusalem, his ancestor's home, was in ruins still. Almost, uh, just to give you a little historical perspective, almost a hundred years had passed since Cyrus, the king of Persia, had allowed rebuilding to start in 537 BC. But when we look at verse 3, Verse 3 tells us the report of what had happened in those hundred years. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile was in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Faced with, with this news, Nehemiah could have, he could have just ignored it. After all, the the destruction of Jerusalem was more than 140 years beforehand. He had his his own life in Susa. He was among the the royal elite. Uh, uh, We find out at the end of chapter 1 that he was a cupbearer. And that that simply means that he was some kind of elite uh, official in the administration. You know, what did did Nehemiah have to do with Jerusalem or or the, the people who lived there? He could have ignored this. He grew up 1,800 miles away from Jerusalem in the east. He also could have started questioning these men who came from Judah. He could have asked them, "Is is it really bad as you say it is? Why has it taken so long? It's been 100 years, guys. What have you been doing for 140 years since the destruction? Throw out the guys who are in charge and get new officials in. He could have just interrogated them. Instead, what what does Nehemiah do? He weeps. The very first thing he does is weep. Look at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned. For days, for days, he wept and he mourned. Nehemiah was far removed from this pain, but he wept for days over the fact that his long-lost, distant brothers in Judah reported that they faced great evil and shame. And this this is instructive for us. For it highlights a a recurring theological response in Scripture. Whenever God's people are confronted with the tragic news of other people, they respond first with lament. Consider, for example, uh, when, when David, at the end of 1 Samuel and at the beginning of 2 Samuel, when David hears about Saul's death, Saul, Saul is his enemy. Say enemy. Enemy. Saul dies. And what's the first thing that David does? He weeps. 
He mourns. He mourns his death in 2 Samuel chapter 1. In fact, he, he cries out this whole kind of lament song over the death of his enemy, Saul. This, this uh, river of lament flows all through the Old Testament in the way that the people of God respond to tragic news. And this river of lament then is taken up by Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, when he states, rejoice with those who rejoice and what? Weep with those who weep. He doesn't say, weep with those who you understand all the intricacies of why they're weeping. He doesn't say, weep if you really think you should weep about this. He just says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I think that we can infer from this that a Christian response to all the racial tension and violence of the past weeks demands first that we weep that we weep with those who weep. Our, our first response cannot be to, to uh, counter example or, or stake our political positions. Instead, we should wade into the river of lament and scripture, and we should get wet. We should mourn what has been reported to us. See, if we, if we rush to judgment and, and speak before, before lamenting, we will have a, a distorted view on the world. For it is through lament, brothers and sisters, it is through lament that God helps us to begin seeing clearly. Just, just look at the Psalms as evidence of this. Look at how the Psalms testify to this over and over and over, that it's in this kind of stream of lament that suddenly we see things rightly and see things in a new way and see what God is doing. And so naturally, the question arises, uh, what do we lament? What do we lament? I spent this week praying through Psalm 10 over and over, each once each day, and asking God to help me lament what I'm seeing, what, what I'm hearing. And, and as I prayed through that, I wrote down nine things that I need to lament right now. And I'm not saying maybe you need to do this, but this is what I need to lament. First, I need to lament the very real pain and affliction that my African-American brothers and sisters in the church are telling me. Lament the very real pain and affliction that our African-American brothers and sisters in the church are telling me. Second, lament that the sins of past generations bears thorns in our present generation. Third, lament the the businesses, lament the lives destroyed 
because of violent protests and anarchy. Fourth, lament how evil people and evil organizations are exploiting real racial problems to profit their own godless agendas. I lament that. Five, lament real police brutality while acknowledging, yes, just, there are just and courageous police officers that we should be praying for. But that doesn't mean I don't lament real police brutality that has happened. Six, lament the abuse and degrading of the image of God and human beings. Lament that. Lament wherever the image of God is being degraded. Seven, lament that orthodox, godly, Christian, blacks and whites are divided over how to respond right now. Eight, lament how, how Satan, how Satan promotes divisions, maybe even in this church, to produce suspicion and, and distrust of one another. Lament that. And nine, my last one that I had to write down, and, and I'm sure there's many, many more, Lament that perhaps we don't feel inclined to lament. Lament that. Like Nehemiah, Christians dare not speak until we have have worked through biblical lamentation for the tragedy that we have witnessed in our country. And, And so to that end, I I urge you to practice lamenting, even if you don't feel like lamenting. Sometime this week, open your Bibles to Psalm 10 and prayerfully read through Psalm 10 slowly. Linger over verse by verse and, and let the Spirit guide you to lament and to guide you to what you should lament. And and maybe do like what I did, write out, actually just write out what what you see God calling you to lament and to mourn over. Practice that this week. Now, after we mourn our broken world, uh, I recognize that we we may still not know what to do about racial divisions. And, And we may still not know who to believe or, or what to believe about all this. That's, that's, that's okay. You know, my head, uh, my head starts to hurt just thinking about all the complexities, wondering how we should respond, how I should respond. Should we, should we join a peaceful protest? Should we support various policies? Should we denounce certain groups? Should we not protest? Should we act in direction A or should we act in direction B? Should we just remain quiet? 
These, all these questions kind of circling in my head the past weeks reminds me of, of the story of Jehoshaphat and what he faced in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you just turn back a few pages in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I preached on this a couple years ago, I think, uh, this whole story. Uh, but part of it just kept coming back to my mind this week, thinking about these kinds of questions and how do we respond in the midst of crisis and how do we respond to things that we just we don't know what to do. Listen to 2 Chronicles 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Jehoshaphat was, was the king in Judah at the time. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. That's the Dead Sea region. And look, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So here's Jehoshaphat. He, he receives this news that, that something is horrible, something very horrible is brewing in the east kind of like uh, the flashes of light coming from Mordor and Lord of the Rings. Armies are marching toward Judah. What should they do? How should they respond? You, you can imagine all of the officials of Jehoshaphat kind of getting together and, and debating amongst themselves and, and arguing, uh, attack, attack, Jehoshaphat. And, and others arguing, no, 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 defend, defend. And others yelling out, no, let's make an alliance. <laughs> but Jehoshaphat, he responds by seeking the face of God and, and praying when he doesn't know what to do. He calls the whole nation to gather to come and seek the Lord and pray. In verse 5, it goes on, all the way down to verse 12 with this, this long prayer, this beautiful prayer that Jehoshaphat has, just pleading with God to show up and give them wisdom and know what to do in this face of this crisis. And I love most of all the last line in verse 12. The very last sentence, he ends his prayer by saying, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do you feel like that some days, the past months? I have. I don't know what to do, God. But my eyes must be on you. Again, this is the, this is the pattern of godly response to difficult and divisive situations in Scripture. Besides Jehoshaphat's example, just look again at Nehemiah chapter 1. Right after Nehemiah weeps for days, what does he do? He weeps for days and then he turns to prayer. And he seeks God's counsel. And he pleads to God, acknowledging to God, here's the situation, I don't know what to do. Or how about Daniel? 
Daniel hears that advisors are going to be killed because no one can interpret the king's dream. He then, he hears this news and then he promptly falls on his knees and pleads with God for wisdom to respond to the king. Or then there's the, there's the early church. In Acts chapter 12, uh, James is killed and, and then Peter is imprisoned. What do you do? How do you respond? Well, the early church, it says that, that Peter was imprisoned and then immediately the church responded by falling on her knees and earnestly praying to God for wisdom. Or how about Paul and Silas in Acts 17 when they're thrown in prison in, in Philippi? Unsure of what to do, they, they spend the entire night praying and singing to God, seeking his face. You know, we've... We've heard over the past months, uh, never mind the years, disturbing reports coming to us. The killing of unarmed African-Americans by police. We've heard reports of egregious discrimination. We've heard reports of, of peaceful protests and then violent protests, in some cases outright anarchy. You know, often we haven't experienced these things ourselves or or seen these things. So the question is, how how do we respond? How do we interpret these events as followers of Jesus right now? The scriptures point us after lament to one thing. That's earnest prayer. This is nicely summed up in... um, James chapter 1, verse 5, isn't it? Where James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. I have found this past week, I have to stop assuming that from my life, my own life experience, I can see all the issues of racial tensions clearly. No, I can't. I desperately need God's wisdom. Brothers and sisters, we we must begin right now by praying. And, And then when we are done praying, we need to pray again and again and again until God gives us light. See, prayer, prayer humbles us. Prayer acknowledges that these problems are far beyond us. Prayer helps, maybe most importantly, prayer helps me kind of reorient around God rather than around my own life experiences or rather than around the the cultural and political voices around me. Prayer also helps us recognize that race and, and justice are chiefly spiritual problems that demand spiritual responses. And in saying that, I don't mean, just so I'm clear, I don't mean that, that there are not important social dimensions that we must practically work out. That's a conversation that, that we need to have. We can't avoid that. But what I mean is when we pray, 
We are confessing that what our country needs, what, what we ourselves need more than anything else, is God. We need God right now. We need God to pour out his spirit to heal all the divisions, especially racial divisions right now. See, prayer recognizes, prayer recognizes and acknowledges that racial divisions and racism, racism has its roots in the supernatural, satanic war in the heavenly realms. That's what's really going on right now. See, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no political right or political left. I guess for you, that'd be right, left. (laughs) There's no political right or left on race in the kingdom of Christ. There are responses right now on, on both the right and the left that are satanic and should be exposed and rejected. And that's why we respond first through prayer. We plead with God for divine wisdom from above, as as James chapter 3 so eloquently says. In prayer, we confess that our loyalties are not with political parties or platforms, but with the kingdom of Christ. So, So pray. Pray, as we look out at our world right now, pray that we at ECC would participate in that divine wisdom from above so that we would respond to the racial divisions in a godly and measured way. You know, Mount Healthy right now depends on us praying toward this. They're looking to us, watching how how we're going to respond, whether we're going to respond with divine wisdom or with earthly wisdom. And so to that end, I, I want us to pray right now for God's wisdom. If you would please stand with me. Please stand with me. This is a, this is a quick break, give you a little stretch, okay? Stand with me. And if John could put up on the screen a corporate prayer that comes from, uh, it's adapted from the Valley of Vision, if you're familiar with that, a great little prayer book. And uh, it's also adapted from James chapter 3. So would you join me right now and corporately pray for God's wisdom? Father mighty, we are blind, so be our light. We are ignorant, be our wisdom. We are self-willed, be our mind. Open our ear to grasp quickly spirit's voice melt our conscience that no hardness remains make it alive to evil's slightest touch when Satan approaches may we flee to your divine self and there cease to tremble at all alarms be our good shepherd to lead us into the green pastures of your word Let your word be the dominant force that shapes our response to the racial divisions we see. Expunge from us any wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, or demonic. 
by your spirit, fill us with divine wisdom so that we would be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. Show us, O oh God, how we might respond as individuals and as a church to the events unfolding around us today. Amen. You may be seated. So we respond to racial injustice and the protests and the violence, first by lamenting, second by praying. And these two things lead us to a third Christian principle that, we, that, that should govern how we think about race right now. And that is simply, we care. Care. There's perhaps no better biblical narrative on this than the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Many of you are all too familiar with this parable, having grown up often in the church and, and heard this parable over and over. So I'm not going to take the time right now to, to read it. Uh, but this is really, if you think about that parable, this is really a, just a stunning story. This man is beaten, and, and he, he lays dying while a priest and a Levite walk right past him. Those two men who are tasked with the very calling to image God and protect the vulnerable. Just go read Leviticus 18 and 19. These, these two men, they just, they walk right past. And, and then comes along this, this Samaritan who's on the political other side, who, who probably couldn't even eat at the same table as the man lying dead, half dead right now. And what does he do? He stops. And in verse 33 of chapter 10 of Luke, it says that this, this little phrase, he stops and then he had compassion. And he goes far above his duty. And he gives at his own expense to care for this hurting man. He, he sets aside all his political convictions, all his self-interest, and he cares. See, lament and prayer. Lament plus prayer equals caring. It leads to caring. This, I know, raises huge questions for God's church. Will we care? I know that the issues are complex beyond what I even realize. I know this is hard. There, there's a, a lot going on right now about the racial divides that, that I don't understand and haven't experienced myself. But brothers and sisters, if, if the church doesn't show that it cares, other organizations will rise up and fill that void. And they will bring with them a different gospel that is not about the kingdom of Christ. 
And so, for the sake of God's gospel, which offers true healing and true reconciliation, we need to care after lamenting and praying. We need to do the hard work of thinking through the complex issues and figure out how to practically care according to wisdom from above. So let let me just briefly suggest two ways that that Christians can care right now Uh, with, with the caveat that we need a much more extended conversation on these complex things. But here's two easy things. First, Care by listening. Care by listening. Learn to abide by texts like James 1, 19 and 20, which says, let every person be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. And then if you flip over again to James chapter 3, James 3 tells us that divine wisdom, divine wisdom is characterized by being gentle and open to reason, full of mercy. See, in the cultural battles that, that we face right now on race, Christians of all people should, should stand out as those who listen patiently before speaking or maybe before typing. Let us listen carefully to our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ. Just listen. Let us listen to our brothers and sisters who are police officers. Then we repeat that cycle of lament and prayer, lament and prayer until we can discern wisely how we can care. You know, another way to listen, uh, I must add, is, is to read good books. It may not surprise you, but I have a list of books. I was going to mention them all, but I won't right now. I'll, I'll put them on the blog uh, this week. Some of these books have been very helpful to me personally to just, just to get into the shoes of somebody else and understand the journey that people have walked that I have not walked. I encourage you to do that. Read at least one book that I post up. So first, care by by listening. Second, care by being a neighbor. Just by being a neighbor. Like the Samaritan man in the parable, cross the aisle to show compassion to for those who who maybe you're not normally in community with. Um Tina recently offered a great example to me. I don't know if she's here. Um, but David, you can give me permission, right, to say this? Great. Okay, thanks. Uh, Tina just gave me a great example. We were talking about this, and, and she was telling me how she walks her neighborhood right now, just praying for her neighbors, and particularly praying for God to give her an opportunity just to talk and befriend somebody in her neighborhood. Go do the same. Something so simple like that. Praying that God, that God would give you eyes of wisdom as you're walking around your neighborhood and praying just to see things in a new way. 
that God would give you new opportunities. And you might be surprised what God will do. Do that. I urge you to do that and email me what happens and what you see happen, okay? Do that. And as we think through these things, in this, in this cultural moment right now we live in, we have an enormous opportunity for the gospel of Christ right now. You know, the world, the world is sitting up. The world is watching and, and paying attention, desperate for answers right now, desperate for a path forward. Church, let us be the ones to give that path forward to them. Let's show Mount Healthy, just starting there. Let's show Mount Healthy the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to make reconciliation between God and humans and between each other. This, this conversation on race needs to continue at ECC. For, for it's, it's what's in our world right now, and, and we must bring the gospel to bear on our present world. There are, for sure, more thorny issues that, that we need to reflect on and reflect on in distinctly Christian and theological ways. But for now and for today, I urge you, let us commit together to lamenting and to praying, and then to caring. On those three things, I think we can unite. Let's pray. Father God, we again confess that we need your wisdom. We need your mercy to show us a path forward in these troublesome times. Help us to see more clearly through the the prism of your word and through the gospel of your grace and mercy and the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.